while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Good afternoon. This is the Reasonable Voices talk radio news program, and I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, with a special guest today. Impossible Monsters writer-director Nathan Catucci. Welcome, Nathan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm Thanks great. For having me. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. And a little bit about the film, of course. Impossible Monsters, winner of the Panavision New Filmmaker Grant, is written and directed by our guest, Nathan Catucci. Impossible Monsters will have its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California, on Saturday, March 9th, 2019, we will be repeating all of that for you as we go. Impossible Monsters, I should mention also, is produced by, and I hope I get this correctly, Dorocha Math, Jonathan Burkhart, and Nathan Catucci. Uh, we'll talk more about the magnificent cast as we progress, but for now, Nathan, I'd like to ask you about your tip of the hat, or shall I say paintbrush, to Francisco Goya. What inspired that? Well, several years ago, I was um, I was working on you know putting this script together. I was uh, you know I've always been fascinated by dreams and nightmares and mm-hmm. our perceptions of reality. And um, you know I wanted to do a story that was centered around a young professor of psychology pursuing a sleep study and one of the participants, an artist suffering from you know these nighttime experiences mm. and so when i started looking at different artwork henry facilities the nightmare mm-hmm. and which is you know the nightmare is essentially kind of a painting that is illustrating what they believe to be sleep paralysis but and then i came across you know goya's sleep of reason mm. and you know, fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. And so it kind of, it fit, it fit the dream world mm-hmm. element of the story. And also it fits the, uh, I felt it fit the ambitions of our the character, Rich, who kind of is sort of abandoning his moral 
center to pursue a lucrative grant and mm-hmm. ultimately in a way produces monsters in the film interesting which brings me to uh, I, I wasn't going to ask about this immediately but there are some wonderful one-liners and since you're a writer as well as director applying for grant for sleep research is not winning <laughs> am i reading too much into that or what i loved it it's it's a quote from the film and i just since you mentioned uh, that particular aspect of the film that he's uh, sort of compromising his morals in pursuit of this grant i remember one of the lines being i think it's the the dean of the uh, university or the department at least of uh, uh, telling him applying for grant for sleep research is not winning and it, it, yeah yeah she was what she was saying was uh, you know just applying to the grant or applying in a way that to just apply is not winning, and, and what she's implying is that uh, she's asking him to be open to uh, kind of cutting corners a little bit, mm-hmm. which which ultimately plays into later in the, in the story. Yes, I thought so too. I, um, you know, another thing to perhaps back up just a bit. I'm a big fan of exposition in film, at least happening during opening credits. Uh, using the camera's eye to, you know, sort of grab the audience immediately. And I think Your Impossible Monsters really does that. I love it when, by the time we get to dialogue, we have some real sense of the uh, the feel of the movie, the genre, where the director wants to take us. Um, I mean, I know as director you chose what we see, but did you did you feel that you wanted to to make that statement clear to us from the beginning so that we thought, by the way, we understood what was happening, even though we probably don't. Yeah, I mean, it's it's always, I think it's a really important way to, um, you know, like you said, I, I mean, you make a choice and you're kind of directing the audience mm. uh, down the rabbit hole, so to speak, yes. uh, with, with what you want them to uh, see, hear, believe. And certainly in the opening of Impossible Monsters, it, it certainly has an element where you're, you're not sure if it's real or uh, or not yes. in some ways. And ultimately that, you know, I wanted that feeling there because, you know, so much of the story is, you know, what's real, what's not real. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to establish that right away uh, for the audience um, so that they, it helps uh, bring them into the story a little bit more. Exactly. It always takes a little while to really fully, un- you know, for a story to unfold a little bit. Well, it's a marvelous yeah. teaser, let's put it that way. We certainly are yes. intrigued. Yes. <laughs> You know, and I guess it's fair now to tell the audience, uh, our listeners today, that Impossible Monsters is indeed a psychological thriller. I think that label is fair. And I'm particularly moved by it because I uh, I was, uh, what, what's a good way of putting it? I was a target or self-inflicted, uh, I'll get your opinion on that, of a recurring nightmare throughout much of my childhood and early adulthood. And and the way I was cured is not not the approach necessarily of your professor of sleep 
therapy, etc. But it's really, really close. And and but what really gets me is that you so captured my experience of dealing with the what do I want to say blurred lines between dreams and nightmares and reality. You take it from there. Yeah, I think like uh, what I was trying to uh, illustrate throughout the film is kind of that. Uh, I, I kind of refer to it as, as that moment, mm-hmm. you know, when we wake up from a dream or a nightmare. Yes. And, and it's, it's this moment that uh, it's really, it, it takes a second to be, to know what you were just dreaming wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and so that was, that was kind of what we set out to do with the film and, but do it throughout the film and, and which was a challenge, you know, for, for working in, a, in an area of the film. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was kind of that, that moment was really what I was trying to illustrate. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. I have you, um, or do you wish to even share such a thing, but have anything in your life that, uh, in, you know, dreams, nightmares or whatever that inspired this desire to write and direct and produce impossible monsters, anything in your history? Well, certainly, um, uh, like I, you know, again, I've, I always had this fascination with dreams and nightmares, uh, but I think I certainly much more when I was in high school, there was this period of my life where I had uh, really ongoing, recurring sleep paralysis. Mm. Mm-hmm. And which one of the, some of the characters suffer from in the film. Yes. Um, and, you know, when you're a teenager, uh, you know, I didn't even really know what it was. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so you're having this, 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 these, you know, moments where you're, you, you feel or see something in the room, you can't move, yes. you're conscious of it, because yes. it's in that moment of REM sleep, uh, and then, you know, you, you come out of it, nothing's there, but, you know, your perception is that, that it was totally real, it was happening, and you start thinking, and certainly when I was a teenager, I thought, there's something really wrong with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, when I got to college is when I learned about what sleep paralysis was. And so I don't, that doesn't really happen anymore in my mm-hmm. life, but that was certainly something that experience in high school and then going into college, learning about it certainly helped kind of uh, jumpstart that I, this idea for the, for the film. Yes, and, and you know, I, in case we haven't made it clear to everyone, sleep paralysis really is a thing. It's real, and I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's safe to say, you tell me what you think, it's not a recurring nightmare such as I had, but it is that moment, what can happen just as you begin to fall asleep and just as you wake up. That's sort of your in-between stage. Um, you're half half in the sleep world and half not. What do you think? I think absolutely. And again, it kind of plays into that um, that moment that I was uh, talking about. Yeah. Um, but the difference is, is like you, 
you can't actually come out of it. Mm. You know, you're, you're, you're physically paralyzed yeah. for um, seconds, uh, or it could be a little longer. Um, and and that's why, it, again, that the, the line between dreams and reality get very, very blurred when the sleep paralysis. Yeah. Wow. I think also it's fair to say that uh, the music score of Impossible Monsters is an unseen but certainly not unfelt character in your film. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. The music from the beginning uh, was really, really important. I mean, music in general is really important. Yes. But uh, for the film, uh, our composer, Michael McAllister, um, Mike and I had uh, started talking about the score long before I had even received funding for the project, really. Mm. Um, we started talking about, uh, you know, the influences that this could potentially be. Um, and obviously, Bernard Harmon was an influence, Bartok, Bella Bartok was an influence. Um, but we really wanted a lot of strings and... Uh, and also kind of combine it with some electronic sound. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had actually, um, we had started really kind of putting together ideas for this music uh, quite early. Um, we, we had a table read. Um, while we were in the process of fundraising, we had a table read at the Pace Gallery in New York. And mm -hmm. we actually had a, eight actors reading we had a frame-by-frame -frame storyboard projected over the actors mm. uh, but then um, Michael had also put together kind of a live demo score mm. with, a, with, a, with a cellist uh, well, uh, uh, bass and mm -hmm. some electronics now and uh, and we presented that to the audience yeah. so from the beginning, and even going into production, I kind of knew music was going to be a really important, uh, important role in, in the story, in the film. And, and yet it doesn't tell us what to think. It just sort of uh, gives us a, 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 a platform is the wrong word. It gives us a wave to ride as we try and figure out where we are. How's that? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think... Um, I think that's you know that's that's what great music is. It's mm. it, it, it it's it kind of it brings out a feeling in you, you know. And mm -hmm. So and then when you put that with watching a film, uh, and certainly a film like this where it's there's a lot of there's a lot left for interpretation. I I, I think the music does sort of like you said. Um, serve as a guide on a, you know, through the, mm -hmm. the story. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we're going to take a short break. We are talking with the writer-director of Impossible Monsters, uh, Nathan Catucci. And we, when we come back, we're going to talk more about the fact that Impossible Monsters will have its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California, on Saturday, March 9th. 2019, of course, and we'll talk about Obscura Pictures and about the cast. Stay with us. We'll be right back with 
writer-director Nathan Katucci. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Movie geeks, take note. Quartet is Dustin Hoffman's first directing credit. Let us see what this old pro might have up his artistic sleeve. Ah, no tricks, deep meaning, or acting bravado. Just a delightful stroll through an old age home filled with funny and lovable retired performers. Sure, there are threads of a plot. One couple were married once, but she cheated soon after the wedding, and he has never forgiven her. She was a big star and is still a diva, and arrives to shake up the place with her airs and demands. Another thread is the unlikely need to put on a show, ostensibly to save their beloved retirement home with the proceeds. But for the show to work, the old lovers must reunite, and our diva must be able to hit a note she is no longer confident can be reached. Not exactly heavy material, but we celebrate Quartet for what may be the best reason of all. It's simply enjoyable entertainment. Here we have another entry into the silver dollar trend. Films on senior subjects populated by the most appealing of elder stars. The humanity is real, the laughs strike true, and we learn that Dustin Hoffman respects us by not taking himself too seriously. What's not to like? Quartet. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at indiefilmminute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices Talk Radio program. My guest today is writer director Nathan Catucci, the writer and director of Impossible Monsters. That's what we've been talking about. And during the break, I, I wanted I, I asked Nathan, so I'll ask him now for all of you to hear. Possible Monsters is quite an interesting title, and I wonder how much of that came from you, uh, from Goya, or where it came from, because what strikes me is Impossible Monsters as opposed to whatever, what other kind of monsters we might have. What are your thoughts? Well, the, the title was you know, uh, taken from the quote, the Goya quote, mm-hmm. the fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. But the project wasn't always titled Impossible Monsters. But I always had that artwork in the film as part of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I, uh, as we were developing the project, I just felt that that title from that quote and the start the film with that quote just really um, underscored a big part of the, the theme of the story mm-hmm. of um, you know what's real what's not real what what how fantasy and ambition can create monsters and I just felt it was a perfect fit for for the film yes well I agree <laughs> and and yeah. I don't always get a full product before I get to interview a guest, but uh, it was amazing to watch. I watched it three times, and each time I think I I took away a more. And I'm being very good, I think, of not giving away anything <laughs> because because I I think the 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 central question how's that should not be given away. I think people should watch it and then and then have their experience, as I was fortunate enough to have. Okay, so I wonder, something about Obscura Pictures, I I didn't ask you earlier in the last segment, but 
Tell us, uh, tell us a bit about that. Uh, Obscure Pictures is uh, just my production company that I started several years ago, and it's kind of, you know, we do a variety of projects uh, for, yeah, and, and clients from Morgan Stanley, and then work for Hershey's, Panasonic, mm. uh, etc. It's a lot of uh, branded content, commercials done a couple music videos, but uh, primarily do uh, branded content. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's good. I Back to Impossible Monsters, I, um, I, I think we should mention, or at least I should ask you about, let's put it that way. I found that in Impossible Monsters, dreams, you know, we think of them as ethereal and, and troubling and, you know, not always easily es- able to s- escape from them. But Impossible Monsters also includes a gritty reality. And they, so this dreamlike world and this gritty reality kind of intermingle. And sometimes they run in parallelism, I, I guess I can say, but with a bit of unexpected cold water, sometimes they hit us in the face. I didn't, I, I wasn't always ready when I was in that dream state, how's that? For that cold water of reality to hit me in the face. I know I'm rambling here, but let me put it this way. Instead of having, in my opinion, impossible monsters, instead of, uh, as, as we often do as writers and directors, we give the audience a little comic relief to break away and, and catch their breath before we move on again. Instead of comic relief, we got some ice-cold reality check interrupting as well as paralleling what you were giving us in the way of dream and sleep information. Since you both wrote and direct, this seems to me a very intentional choice. What I'm really pointing out is that how touched I was by the fact we get you get us so caught up in impossible dreams and sleep therapy and uh, sleep paralysis and, dare I say, sensual desires and all of that. And then we get hit with a, a, a clear everyday dose of reality that is so sudden it jars us and then you pull us right back into the dream state. So why did you do that? <laughs> um. I think I so we I definitely did do the film in a way that um, there was kind of two worlds, right? The reality and dreams, mm-hmm. and they do kind of unfold side by side until um, the end of the film. Mm-hmm. You know, I I know there's not a lot of comic relief in in Impossible Monsters, um, and I, I you know I. I kind of, I don't know if that's just partly my personality or, um, or, you know, the, the, the thing about the film is, um, again, it, it goes back to the Goya quote at the beginning of the film, fantasy abandoned by reason produces impossible monsters. And I think, you know, not just dreams, the dreams aren't the only monsters in the film. Mm-hmm. And there certainly is every 
everyday monsters. Mm. And um, that's, you know, I very much wanted that, those monsters to be there. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality of, uh, and, uh, you know, that's just, that's just a reflection of, of our world mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yes. Well, you, you know, and I certainly didn't mean to imply that a lack of comic relief as a criticism, quite the contrary. Oh, no, I didn't, I didn't yeah. take that at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say there was a little tease of a, it was, it was a comic moment. It did make you, it, it did make me uh, go, hmm, wonder where that's going, if anything. And that was when um, uh, your character, the artist uh, Otis, is introduced to this mysterious stranger, shall I call him that? And, and his only, and the artist's only comment about him is he's wearing all leather. <laughs> and I went, I thought that's, that's interesting because for me, what it did without giving too much away, it, it made me consider other possibilities. And then you pulled me back to where I think you wanted me to be. And I like when, I like when I'm fooled because I'm not often, you know, I knew it was Norman in his mother's dress killing her in the shower at the beginning of the movie, which didn't please my date when I said that out loud. But in any case, um, so when I'm pulled in, I love it. I love it. Can I tell you oh, a quick story about that? Uh, yes, line. please go. That actually wasn't in the script. That was uh, Donald Ely, who plays Otis just said that <laughs> and the entire set broke out laughing yeah. so, it was, so you keep it yeah it worked for me it worked really well and um, that's, that's why it's in the film okay well so, great absolutely absolutely right. you know one thing there are cameos how about that of a character that's usually associated with dare I say evil uh, interesting choices. Um, you care to make any comments on that? Without giving away anything. Well, I could talk about, I could just talk about the whole cast as a whole, I guess. We could, yes, uh, let's talk about, first of all, the film stars a Tony Award uh, nominee, uh, Santano Fontana, the star of the highly anticipated Broadway production of Tootsie and Disney's Frozen and, and Natalie Kemp. Yeah. Yes, and then I'll uh, you you spoke up, but but you let's you, you tell us about the cast and how working with them and and yeah uh, yeah. I, I, yeah. So I'm a first time feature director, and uh -huh. it's my first feature film, and you know for me, I felt really incredibly fortunate to have Santino Fontana, yes. Jeffrey Owens, uh, Lila Robbins, Dennis Bustakaris. I mean, they brought a wealth of experience to their roles uh -huh. and. Also to to production, and, and I, I learned a great deal from them. And I also had we also had great um, cast with uh, Debra Bizet, Donald Huey, Natalie Knapp, and uh, Chris Henry Coffey. You know, they also brought an incredible thoughtfulness to all their characters. And mm -hmm. I, I think um, for me, uh, I really felt everyone was really generous in asking questions about the characters and story. And, um, you know, that's ultimately questions are, are how you kind of get to the core of the story and, and yes. out great performances. So yes. uh, 
it's a it's a really great cast and they they did a phenomenal job and I, I think uh, um, they really helped bring bring the story to life. And and also threw in a couple of one-liners. <laughs> yes. What yes. about you know another speaking of which another that I really loved was here it's just a parade a few of us trying to turn our work into cash. Well, I don't know things like that. I hear that and they just come out to me and I go, you know, it's a little gym tucked in the middle of a whole basket of jewels, but it's a it's a definitely a little gym because it. It gives us such insight into the character that said it. Yes? Was that scripted? Oh, that, that was in the script, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Writer. So uh, was, it all, was it anything more, like a comment on our world, our profession, our what? Um, I think it's both. I mean, it, it's, you know, the character of Otis is... Um, talking about you know his his uh, work uh, in the art gallery, mm-hmm. but I think um, it's it, it's you know there's there's certainly a commentary um, about uh, where you know art needs commerce and mm. the business of selling art. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, I got you. Enough said. All right, so, well, one thing for sure, uh, before we go, I, let's tell people how we can get more information. You know, the website, uh, impossiblemonsters.com, uh, and you guys are on Instagram, Facebook, yes? Yes, yeah, so, you know, we will, um, uh, the audience can go to impossiblemonsters.com. Uh, you can go to our screening page. You can sign up and sign up for our email list. Uh, CineQuest is our first stop uh, on the festivals uh, with the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you sign up on our email list, we will certainly uh, notify you of upcoming screenings. And you can also follow us at Impossible Monsters Movie on Instagram and Facebook. As Excellent. Well. Excellent. And of course, Twitter as well. At iMonsters Movie. Yeah, that's right. That's a little different. I couldn't remember yeah. off the top of my head, but yes, thank you. And I guess uh, any. Do you want, as a director, do you want to tell us um, if one of the things maybe you'd like us to take away from this film, Impossible Monsters, your film? Or shall we just, are you going to leave it to us? Well, I think by design, the film does leave it uh, as, a, as a question. Yes. And so I, I would... I would encourage everyone to see it and um, ask questions. Exactly. Okay. Well, that's, you know, I couldn't agree more. That That's that's why I wanted to dance around all the specifics because, I, as I said earlier, I've seen it now several times and, and getting something more and more each time. I wouldn't want to rob anyone of the opportunity of their first experience and, and to discover what not only what their answer might be, but what their questions are, because as you said, questions are the key. Okay. All right. We have been having a marvelous conversation today with the writer-director of Impossible Monsters, Nathan Catucci. Uh, I 
strongly suggest everyone see this. We want to mention again that it is the winner of the Panavision New Filmmaker Grant, and um, and that, of course, it will have its world premiere at the CineQuest Film Festival in San Jose, California, on Saturday, March 9th, 2019. And we have mentioned where you can go to uh, to get more information. The website is www.impossiblemonsters.com. Nathan, I got to thank you so very much for being on the show. It really was a pleasure to talk to you and listen to you and, and you know, get your insights. Um, you've done a, I mean, when one thinks of it as your free, first feature, it's an amazing work, but it is an amazing work in any case. And I really, truly was moved by it. Okay. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All the best to you and the cast and producers, everybody. Okay. Bye now. And now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Imagine that one day another planet like ours should appear on the horizon. This is the setting for the surprisingly human, spare little story of another Earth. Driving under the influence, young would-be astrophysicist Rhoda is distracted by sighting a new planet on the horizon. She collides with another car, killing the family of John Burroughs. Years later, upon her release from prison, Rhoda seeks redemption by visiting John's home, only to find a lonely, broken man. By now, it has been determined that the new planet is part of a parallel universe, an exact duplicate of our own, even peopled by our exact twins. However, when the two worlds interact, paths begin to diverge. Could it be possible to travel to the new planet? To take up a life not yet shattered by loss? Could Rhoda find absolution by starting over? Forget the preposterous science here and even the science fiction. The more intimate focus in another Earth is on the questions we ask ourselves every day. If I could begin again and do it right, what would I do? And, if I could step outside myself and take a good look, whom would I see? Indie Film Minute. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. All rise. Only love remains and other radical thoughts. Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia was mistaken. Our U.S. Constitution was never intended to be a biblical rock of Gibraltar, but more an exceptional evolution of enlightenment, reflecting and, indeed, anticipating even more education through experimentation, a moonstruck tide of ever-evolving humane humanity, even revolutionary female ideas of equality. So, radically speaking, Hillary Clinton is really our 45th. Our first Russian president, however, Donald Trump, and we, mesmerized by a white White House show, remain hitched to an electoral college created by one percenters, fearing mob rule in 1776, which, by the way, 243 years later, is a self-fulfilled prophecy, hemorrhaging foreign investments and bloated by anti-American rallies from Charlottesville to send her back. Therefore, radically I submit, our U.S. Constitution, especially regarding presidential powers, checks and balances, and the myth that only nine justices does a Supreme Court make, 
needs to rise anew, yielding to corporatism's media marketing us to buy into the over-consumerism of deaf, dumb, and blind, all-we-like-sheep states of mind, we risk losing, oh beautiful, for spacious skies. Our twenty-first century radical truth reflects the stench of averted eyes, proving not even Bernie Sanders can successfully retrieve us if relying on millions of Americans rising up to make it so, not if we remain willing doormats to mutual bitterness and twisted lies sponsoring forever domestic and foreign wars, though admittedly aided and abetted by Chief Justice William H. Rehnquist and his four conservative colleagues, Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, Antonin Scalia, Anthony M. Kennedy, and Clarence Thomas on 9 December 2000. Still, even dust will rise when shaken from bigoted malice aforethought. If absorbed into the universal lessons of moonlight's ebb and flow, our hopes rise with each new dawn, whether weather is blistering sunlight or clouds flooding us with real-time forecasts predicting America's reckoning is on the rise. The potential to rise above the lies of maddening crowds is not in silencing them, but in self-revelation breaking our own silence. America is neither broke, save our lacking the unity to debunk trickle-down in Citizens United repeal, nor is America broken, apart from failing our Statue of Liberty promise. But, accepting we are our brother's keepers, and responsible for earth and all therein, our heads will be unbowed by the tyranny of hedge-fund traitors, bankers corroding elected officials, and the treason of exiling scientific thought thinking banning learning will impede America's evolution to eyes resolutely forward and vision on the rise. Radical truth? Some, like Americans still not into a more perfect union, will never trust Democrats. Choices. Fixate on those who will never love all Americans as they claim to love America, or we unite with those who are involved with all life on earth particularly the lives of children who are even now exposed to our reckless elected buffoonery. Trump's acting cabinet can shoot us with intentionally insensitive tyrannical words. Some authorities can cut us with their eyes until we too can't breathe. Some racists may wound us with hatefulness, but as Charlton Heston, if not Moses, told Pharaoh Ramses, what happens next may have already come from our lips, for there are children alive today, even those who have school lunch money, who will have to live with the damage we have done to their expectation of safe food, air, and water. America's real power is in the global respect and love we must now regain. Therefore, neither we nor our Constitution need be enslaved, as were our predecessors, by a Justice Department opinion memo granting a sitting president regal absolution from legal consequences. Radically speaking, be not beset with gloom, for beyond congressional impeachment and indictment, or cabinet-invoked 25th Amendment, we the people are the rising tide that lifts all boats and people in hope to rise. Radical assurance? 
Not all voting for Trump pence are racist supremacists. Not all Caucasians disdainful of people of color. Not all rapists are men, and not all eager to crush life like Trump's allies, John Bolton, Stephen Miller, Jeffrey Epstein, and George Nader. However, America's indulgences permeate the planet, and denial is not the cure, but rather the disease upon which, like Mitch McConnell's indifference, the lives of children hang. Character and honor demand, like air, we rise on the wings of reason to wisdom, knowing America is our very next thought, assertion, and embrace. Only we can save ourselves from those whose mission it is to program us with lies we tell ourselves about ourselves. Like Neil Armstrong, America's next one step must be a liberal, giant leap for mankind. Listen, and we will hear our immigrant ancestors reminding us what we did to the least among us we do to ourselves. America's future depends on the freedom of every child to breathe free the air of renewal. So as life intended, all rise. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.